Welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. I am Kim McCall. The premise underpinning discussions on this podcast is that life extends beyond the physical dimension, that death is not the end of life, that we're all connected energetically with each other, both in the physical dimension and across dimensions, and that there is a purpose to our life that involves growth, healing and assistance to each other. I aim to have conversations to expand your consciousness, help you reconnect with your essential self, and live life as an integrated, multidimensional human being. But given the subject matter, a request. Don't believe in anything, including what is shared here. Experiment, have your own experiences, and always use discernment. The musical introduction to this episode is by Finnish fusion artist Axel Teslev, and this song is called Reincarnation. My guest today is Carol Obley, who spoke with me from her home near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Carol is a long-standing spirit medium who specializes in conveying information from extra-physical consciousnesses to people in the physical dimension. She has done so in thousands of private and group sessions. She is also the author of a number of books, including Embracing the Ties That Bind, I Am Still With You, and Soul to Soul Connections, as well as her latest book, Wisdom from the Spirit World, that we discuss today. Cal has earned a reputation in her local area as the real deal among psychic mediums, and based on her work and our discussion, I can see why. Her book is replete with examples of highly veridical communications by spirits, and Carol places a strong focus on the ethical considerations of her work. As well as examples of some of the more remarkable communications she has received over the decades, we discuss some of the big picture questions around life and death, including issues such as our life purpose, free will, the paradoxical benefits of the human struggle, and our evolution across lifetimes. This interview was held as a Facebook Live, and Carol addresses one audience question at the end. I really enjoyed my conversation with Carol, and I hope you do too. As I, as I mentioned to you before we started um, recording, is uh, that I listened to an interview, um, that, an old interview of yours that I found on, on Apple Podcasts, and I discovered that we seem to have a bit of a similar uh, background in the sense that my early teens and early 20s um, were quite problematic. Um, I struggled with, uh, you know, a lot of drinking and, and other issues. And I actually found um, uh, a way to, you know, spiritual aspects of life. Uh, from that, in a way, through that, you know, from really being in a in a in a really dark sort of space in my life, and uh, I, I learned that that was similar for you. You haven't always been. You're not one of those people who who was like a teenage prodigy, uh, a medium, or anything like that. <laughs> no, quite the opposite. Um, I I, uh, I got into a lot of trouble <laughs> when I was younger, and. Um, so interestingly, it was through, uh, just like you, um, it was through uh, 12-step recovery uh, that I started to investigate. Uh, I was in my 20s. I was about 25. Um, and I was um, 
I was dying really from alcohol um, okay. and drugs. Um, and so when I entered 12 step, I became very aware of spirituality, not religion. Like I had, you know, in my books I've written, I was raised um, in church and, you know, as a Protestant by my family, um, but I had never really explore, explored spirituality. So um, it was then in my mid-20s that I started um, reading books on women's studies, um, also a lot of um, uh, spirituality and the, the paranormal and so forth. Um, and from there, it, my path has really, really opened up. I think in, in a way, you know, challenges that we have are there for us to grow and evolve spiritually. And I write about that in this book too. In fact, it's one of the lessons that the spirit people have brought through. And, um, you know, in the middle section, there are 10 lessons that this book is about that are repeating themes that I've gleaned through many thousands of sessions of being a medium. And the one that I'm referring to here is our wounds do not diminish the light within. And so anything that we've gone through in life, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, but it, it almost always involves some level of suffering. And instead of staying stuck in that, we can use it to, uh, to become closer to our true identity by finding out kind of this paradoxical thing of who we're not. I always say the, the deeper I go into spirituality, the more paradoxical it becomes. So we're here on this, you know, on the earth to really find out who we are as divine beings. And sometimes that occurs by finding out who we are not. And I had put up this facade and, you know, and using chemicals and so forth um, in an attempt to really feel better about myself and so through all of that suffering and believe me it brought me a tremendous amount of suffering um i began to awaken uh onto the pathway that um continues to unfold for me mm. and i can imagine that there were times uh well certainly before you found um the 12-step program that helped you and so on that it was almost unimaginable how you would ever get out of that, right? I think that's when we talk about wounds, um, one of the, the key experiences that I often find is that when you're in the midst of it, it's almost impossible to see how you would leave, right? How you would get out. Um, and making, becoming friends with that feeling itself has been a huge um, transformation for me to know that when I feel so stuck, that that's actually part of the, the process. It is. And, you know, we've all heard this expression. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And, you know, our rational mind always looks at point A and then point Z. And, you know, so I'm, I'm at point A, I want to get to point Z. And we miss the tremendous amount of power that's within the journey itself. Mm. And that continuous unfolding is what creates the deeper awareness of our own soul. 
And so, so you you went through the recovery program. That's still quite a leap then to mediumship. Um, not not you know mediumship is quite a specific niche. So how did you discover that that was a gift that you have? I was born with it, but I didn't uncover it. I didn't develop it. I really wasn't aware of it at all until I was in my mid thirties. And that came about through another catastrophic event. And that event was a fire. I was running a business and uh, overnight we had an electrical fire and the place burned to the ground. Um, and I mean, there, there was still the structure that was there, but um, my partner and I were burned out of the business. And so for about a year, I was sort of left directionless. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And uh, a friend invited me to a metaphysical center that's in a, a small town near where I live. And so I, I kind of reluctantly went there. I, I certainly didn't intend on staying or, you know, taking classes or developing anything. And from the first time I went, I felt very comfortable there they did hands-on healing and they talked you know about spirituality in a more metaphysical sense that really resonated with me and so I started attending on a regular basis and took all sorts of classes and then I took um, intensified training at a place called Delphi and that's near Atlanta Georgia uh, in the United States and uh from there, I immediately uh, I started doing readings, and it was like it was sleeping inside of me and waiting to, you know, for me to be awakened. I tr when I look back on that fire today, I, I really view it as a wake-up call. And in my books, I've, I've written about these things called wake-up calls. And what they really are are things that happen to us on our pathway. Uh, it could be an illness, it could be divorce, it could be uh, you know the loss of a job, um, whatever it might be, it's a point, it's a pivotal point for us to awaken uh, to a different pathway that's, I believe, more in alignment with our soul's true calling. Yeah, and it's actually funny that you mentioned that fire in, in that context because listeners of this program might, we had a pre, I had a previous guest um, uh, a few episodes ago who similarly, a fire was her big wake-up call and changed her, the whole trajectory of her life. Um, yeah, mm. I'll tell you what, I, uh, <laughs> I would never wish a fire on anybody. Um, it's quite devastating and... That was a business. I, I can't imagine what people go through in which, you know, they lose their home or, the, yeah. you know, all their possessions and so forth. So it was kind of like this, this cleansing, um, you know, that happened for me at that time, the universe or the higher mind really saying, we're going to take you off of this pathway. You're being guided onto a totally different pathway yeah. And I, I really didn't look back. Um, and I've taken a lot of training since then. I continue to take training in mediumship, even after I've been doing readings for about 25 years. Mm. 
Yeah, well, maybe you can give folks a bit of an overview then over mediumship. So I think, um, you know, most listeners to this podcast have a general uh, understanding of the multidimensional nature of life and the fact that there is uh, spirits or extra physical people around us who can communicate with us. But there's quite a range of different ways in which this communication can happen. And, um, you know, how does it happen for you? Uh, yeah, maybe just talk a bit about, about that. The more I go into it, the less I understand how it works. Um, so <laughs> it's, uh, it, it amazes me as a, as a conduit. Um, you know, I guess just a basic description of it is that I always use the analogy to explain to people what my experience is as the medium when I'm giving information to people. And it's much like if I held up for you a painting and I have it, I had it covered with a cloth and I remove that cloth and I ask you, when you first see that painting, tell me how you feel. What is your impressions of this scene? What does it bring up memory-wise for you? Is there anything that draws your eye? Are you hearing any sounds when you look at it? And so it's sort of this tapestry um, when those in spirit impress their thoughts upon mine, because that's how it happens. It's through uh, these things called the inner senses. Um, most listeners have probably heard of clairvoyance and that's seeing. There's also clairaudience, which is listening. And that's when I hear um, it's in my own voice, but I hear names or uh, words in my head when I'm doing readings. Clairsentience is feeling, and that's both emotions and also sensations within the physical body. And there's also clairgustience, which is um, smelling or tasting. Mm -hmm. For example, if someone, um, and this just happened last night, I was doing a gallery or group mediumship. Uh, there was a gentleman who came through from Spirit who had been a heavy drinker. And I, I actually tasted alcohol. And I, um, I haven't drank in over 35 years. Um, so it was quite startling uh, when it happened. Um, or say, for example, somebody was a smoker. Um, you know, sometimes I will smell cigarette smoke. Um, or if they, you know, sometimes with food. As well, if there's an older lady coming through, someone's mom or grandmother, um, you know, sometimes uh, I'll get a, um, a smell or a taste of a particular food. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of a, a tapestry of using all of those inner senses. And by the way, I just want to state that everybody, you, me, all the listeners, any, any human being has inner senses. It's a matter of tuning into them and developing them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in your case, after all these years of study, um, do you do you basically walk around? Are you always uh, connected to these senses? And do you sometimes have to actively perhaps shut them off to be able to not be overwhelmed? Or do you really have to, you know, do you really have to tune in when you are doing a reading for someone? 
Um, I'm asked that a lot. Am I, you know, because um, we've had a lot of reality medium show uh, TV shows and, you know, with people going in and they, you know, they go in to order a burger and they're, they're seeing somebody's deceased loved one. And that's for a TV show. And I can tell you that anyone who is a genuine and legitimate medium is not on all the time. We would be completely drained and we're not meant to exist like that anyway. We need to have the balance between the physical, the mental, the rational, and also the spiritual. So it's like flipping a switch for me, Kim. When I do a reading for somebody, I say a prayer beforehand, and that flips the switch. And then I, I start to get the impressions. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not constantly walking around. And I am very firm with, you know, there, there are many instances in which spirit people have come to me before reading. And I've actually written down the information because I don't know who, you know, the being is who's communicating with me, but they're very clear in what they're saying and what they're showing. Um, so sometimes I will write it down or I just so remember this, it. So this is before you even know who you're going to see yes. that this uh, spirit relates to, but they already know that you're going That's to correct. see it. Yeah. That's correct. That's happened times that, that, I mean, it's so specific that um, it, it's just, uh, it's, it's astonishing when it happens. But there's something uh, when, you know, a, media, a medium's um, energy is apparent to those in the spirit world. I don't know how it is apparent. I just know that it is. And so sometimes they, they don't have a concept of time. They do not know what linear time is. So there's times when I have to say, you know, it's not time yet. You're, you're not supposed to be coming to me. Um, you know, but they will, there, there have been times in which they do that. And it's, it's, it's quite remarkable, actually, when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those, one of the things I like, you know, in your book is there's so many, um, what could perhaps be called as veridical experiences that are very compelling to, to you know, demonstrate that there's genuine knowledge being transmitted that can't come from any other source. Um, and that sounds like it's another example, right? Having um, these people come before you've even, you even, before you even know who the information is for, you get relevant information. Mm. Yes, uh, just to give a very brief example, I was doing a group, this was a couple of years ago, I do a lot of, um, I read for a lot of groups, most of them are small, um, but some of them are, you know, a little bit larger. I think there was maybe only 15 or 20 people at this one that I had gone to, but in any event, I had no idea who was going to be attending this, it was in a restaurant, and I sat quietly the afternoon uh, before that evening that I was going to do this group. And I sat with a pen and paper and I, I said, is there anybody who wants to come to me before the group? And so I started receiving these impressions and it was a gentleman who came in and he told me he had been in the service. He was very specific about where he had served uh, partic particular islands. He told me about a glass case 
that that was holding his um, medals from the service. Uh, He gave me names. And um, there were some numbers that were, you know, birth dates and so forth. So I, I transcribed all of this and I took the paper to the event and um, I, I stood up and I read this and there was a woman there and it was her husband and she validated almost everything on that paper. And it was a full paper of information. Right. So it was, it was um, quite astonishing. I think in some way I, I had to prove to myself that this is real because sometimes yeah. I, I myself even, you know, I go, how is this happening? You know, I, even, I, even I now, even after all this time, you still, this still comes around this, the, the questioning. Um, well, you know, not as much as, as before. Um, but there, I, I'll tell you, there have been times that I have been very skeptical of my own work, you know, where I go, um, you know, am I just reading, am I just reading a mind? Is that what I'm doing? But yet, you know, like these examples that there's no one there for a mind, for me to read their mind, you know, uh, of the spirit coming to me ahead of time sort of disproves that. The, The other thing that I find very compelling that disproves mind reading is uh, information that the sitter themselves has no idea about. Yes. And there's many examples of that. Um, you know, ancestors and their family, and they'll say, well, I never heard of uh, Mary or, you know, a Dorothy or whoever it might be. And then I'll get an email back or a phone call back. You know, it could be months later. It could be a year later. And they'll say, you know, I looked this up and you were correct. So to me, that sort of disproves um, mind reading because yeah. the sitter has no no knowledge of it whatsoever. Yeah. Carol, what you just mentioned, uh, it makes me wonder, have you ever worked in or with people in the area of trying to, you know, garner evidence? I mean, there's still, because there is still the overwhelming um, paradigm in the world still is, materialistic or at you know even if there's some spirituality or religious aspects not really open to to or clear about life beyond the physical um and it sounds like in your work there would be a lot of really valuable pieces of evidence um have you ever garnered that together as a or or worked with universities or anything like that i've been well i've worked with uh police and I've worked with um, a couple of murder cases and so forth. And actually, some of them turned out to be um, quite accurate as far as the um, impressions. I've been heavily trained. I've taken a lot of training in, in evidence. And um, so, in other words, for those who don't know, evidential mediumship is presenting facts uh, about the uh the communicating spirit, the, the individual who's in the spirit world. It's also communicating facts that I absolutely would have no way of knowing. Um, you know, names, nicknames, um, pets that people have had. There's many readings I've done in which pets have come through. Um, uh, children, you know, people who have lost children. 
things that only the sitter would know that are not public knowledge. And so I've been, uh, I've done a lot of training and at Lilydale, New York, which is the largest U.S. center for spiritualism, and I've taught many, many workshops there for people, and I've also take, taken workshops there. I've taken training. You know, mediumship is a field that one can really not rest on his or her laurels. You, you constantly have to be refining your conduit and your channel. And I can tell you that the distinction between my early readings 25 or 30 years ago that I was doing and now is like day and night. There's so much more detail. There's so much more clarity now. And of course that, that has to do with the skill and the experience of the medium. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a great thing to remind ourselves. I think that, it's not just um, a gift that we suddenly have and that's it and there, there it is. It's, it's a skill like anything else that we all have innate, we all have a potential and we can uh, refine it in different ways. Yeah. You know, I never, I never use the word gift I, because personally I, I feel that it, it, would put, it puts one on a pedestal in some way and I am so aware of ego creeping in and mm. I never want ego to dictate my work. Um, I, I work with, I, I try to work heavily with ethics and um, I always feel that that's very, very important to do that. Um, so that's why I say it is a skill. It doesn't make me any better, any worse than anyone else. It's what I'm supposed to be doing this time. You know, we, we all have uh, a calling. And I really believe that mediumship is a calling. Not everybody. Everyone has intuition. In fact, I teach, I teach intuition development for people. And I've even recorded a CD, you know, with for home study. But um, I think, too, you know, mediumship is a calling in that it requires an enormous dedication and a life of service. And um, and that doesn't mean that you can't charge money for it at all. And I, I believe that we need to be compensated for skill and for our time and talent. Um, however, there is an element of service work uh, that goes along with it as well. Mm, yeah. yeah. And I must say the ethics really um, you know, comes out very clearly in your book. You, you touch on that at different points. Um, you know, including working with with clients uh, who just really seem to want, basically want to be told every step of the way, you know, what's the right thing for me to do now? What would be the right thing for me to do now? And and um, essentially, I guess, you know, the sense I get from your work is that you're really wanting to help people connect with their own guidance, right, rather than become dependent on on you or on spirits or on anything else outside of them. I couldn't have said that better. You, you said it perfectly. And there is um, a great danger in when one is doing this work in um, creating or fostering dependency. Um, and I've actually turned people away that I feel are becoming too dependent 
And that's that happened has happened one uh, you know more in my earlier career here. But um, every once in a while, there's somebody that you know um, I really have to be very direct, and I, I'm always direct in in readings. But I'll have to say to them, you know, um, I can't tell you what to do, and the spirit world cannot learn our lessons for us. They can't tell us what to do either. They can guide us just like with spirit guides, you know, they, they can guide us, but they certainly can't tell us what to do or live, live our life for us. It would defeat the purpose of being here, right? <laughs> it's exactly right. Um, and have you found uh, uh, that sometimes there are spirits there communicating and you actually feel that you might have to moderate what they're saying because maybe they are not being ethical in the way they're because in the examples you give in your book, the spirits are usually, they all seem to be quite, um, you know, they're, they're very clear. They're just sort of opening, leaving, leave, making possibilities, uh, uh, making people aware of the possibilities. And uh, they all seem fairly, um, well, they all seem very ethical and like they're really operating from the sort of principles that you outline. But, I do know that not everybody on the other side necessarily is like that either. So have you sometimes had to have a vetting process? Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's been many examples of that. Um, Sometimes they're very humorous. You have to understand if they come through, um, when they come through rather, they pick up the personality that they had when they were here. Now, the personalities begins to dissolve once we're in the spirit world because the personality is an extension of the ego. And we, you know, the ego is part of the rational mind. And um, so, but when they come back in and communicate, they actually will take on characteristics of the personality. So sometimes, you know, they, uh, there's been readings that, you know, um, and usually I only do this in private, but that the person is swearing because that's what they, you know, they're, they're using foul, foul language because yeah. that's what they did in life. Um, there's ones that come through they're they're, you know, they're very humorous. Um, I, I did a group last night and there was a gentleman who came through and he was very, very um, pointed and direct. And the lady said, yep, that's the way my dad was, you know, when he was here, he was, I said, he almost comes through to me as a Sagittarian energy. Uh, I'm very knowledgeable about astrology as well. And Sagittarius can be extremely blunt um, in communicating and very direct. And, you know, it doesn't care so much about um, being gracious, you know, when they're speaking. Um, So absolutely, they can come through and often do um, with the personality that they had when they were here. Mm. And do you find, um, I noticed again in, in your book, the large majority, uh, maybe even all of the examples that I, I remember right now, were the people that are coming through are in some way related to the, um, the sitter, the person, you know, your client, the person you're giving the information to, uh, grandparent, maybe further down the ancestral line. Um, but um, uh, when in the kind of work that I've been doing, um, around multidimensionality and so on, we quite often get uh, spirits or we call exophysical consciousness who might be 
uh, not human, right, from other from other planets, or who there seems no immediate known connection to them. Um, do you get that as well sometimes? Do you get people who are um, maybe maybe old evolutionary friends, maybe old friends of the the person from past lives or so on, rather than um, immediate ancestors? Oh, definitely. Um, well, you know, in the with whoever the sitter knew in physical life, absolutely they can come through. I've had friends, neighbors, um, you know, as well as family, um, pets, people's pets that have passed. Um, people, another interesting thing that's happened, um, there are, and I used one of these examples in the book. Uh, there was a lady I read for who was a caretaker. Uh, she did that for a living. And there was, there were people who came through for her that she had taken care of. Yeah. They had no one in the world. They had, they, they considered her family. And so they came through, uh, you know, the reading that that's happened. As far as, um, you know, kind of off-planet sort of energies, I haven't had that happen in readings, but I've had it happen personally. Uh, I've had many strange and bizarre experiences, Kim. <laughs> many, many bizarre uh, things that have happened to me, uh, from ectoplasm coming out of the wall in front of me to uh, seeing shadow people, um, you know, to, um, just very strange things in dreams. Um, right. I believe I've connected with extraterrestrials in dreams. I usually don't talk about this because people think, you know, you can go out there too much with that sort of thing. Um, but I don't discount it at all. It's just, it's part of the experience. Um, do I believe that those exist? Absolutely. And there are some that are malevolent and there, there are some that um, are interested. They're very high, higher dimensional beings who want to assist humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that certainly mirrors my experience as well. And um, the framework that I um, studied a lot of, you know, um, this spirituality under is a Brazilian framework called Conscienciology. And um, for whatever reason, um, extraterrestrial kind of consciousnesses quite frequently seem to be involved in workshops and events and activity. You know, we do a lot of energy work in those in those processes. So, yeah, I was just curious how that plays out in the mediumship field. Yes, you mean as far as doing? Uh, oh, you mean with the um, interdimensional beings, or do you mean doing energy work? Uh, no, I, no, I mean, obviously, I was, the, the, the beings, yeah, that's why I was asking that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wish I could say that I've seen a UFO. Um, but I would love to, but I haven't. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I've, I've, read, I've read a lot of books. When I was a, a child, I was into this stuff. I was reading um, books on the Bermuda Triangle. I was reading books on UFOs. I was reading books on ghosts yeah me too yeah i was really into the 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 et books as a kid yeah yeah it's fascinating and i've actually i've studied a lot of the cases um you know there there's some relatively well-known or famous cases that i've um was very very interested in um so i'm interested in, in anything that's unexplained like that mm. 
I'm curious to uh, talk about some of the lessons that you um, that you discuss in your book. And so, starting with the um, this idea of the you call it the soul agreements, which sounds very much like kind of life plans in a way, right? That we kind of have life life plans. Yeah, well, the soul agreements are uh, made between two or more souls. And what they are really are is for the purpose of uh, the spiritual evolution of both of those souls um, or a group of souls for that matter. And that's agreed upon um, either when both are in spirit or one is in spirit. Um, for example, we make an energetic connection with our parents uh, before we're, we're born. And I've seen that as well. So, you know, I write extensively about these things called the Akashic Files. And the Akashic Files are, um, they're energetic, um, it's like an energetic giant tape recorder that the soul is always adding to. And it travels with the soul um, forever, you know, from the beginning of time um, and throughout many lifetimes and in between lifetimes. So these things called uh, blueprints that I've written about are an outline or a design for living that we each make before we come here. And so, um, you know, that, that's what, that's the definition of blueprints. I, I chose that instead of contracts because uh, blueprints are much more open-ended. Right. We do have the, um, we do have free will. That, that is always operating because it really is a natural law. Um, and natural laws are immutable and eternal principles. Yeah, and you have some really, um, you know, quite touching examples um, in your book. One of the things, that, one of the stories I, um, I remember was this, you describe a, a, a family whose son had died of an overdose. And I think you explain that, it had been planned that he would struggle with, like it was, he was aware before the birth that he would be struggling with addiction and with certain challenges in his life, but it wasn't planned that he would die at that age from the overdose. That was in a way an accident or, or things, you know, he just lost control of, um, of himself in that yes. life. Yes. And I can tell you, and I wrote, um, I wrote, some pages in this book um, on the opioid addiction because, um, you know, it's been epidemic here um, and I'm sure worldwide too, you know, right now we're all talking about what's going on with, um, you know, other health concerns, but uh, there have been many people I've read for who have lost children to uh, overdose yeah. from that. And <clears throat> so we have these predispositions and even genetics, even genetics, even though they're a physical thing, you know, they're contained within genes and DNA. Uh, we choose that on a soul level, not on a conscious level, but on a soul level, we choose that. And so, um, you know, that's all, that's all what we plan. What we do with that when we get here, though, is how we can, um, you know, kind of put our, our free will into that particular lesson. 
And in that, that example that you're citing, and that's early on in the book, um, it's very much about this young man's choice to continue using these um, very lethal drugs and then the, um, you know, the aftermath of it, what it did to his family, particularly his mother. Mm. Um, so, and souls that pass in that manner, they go through, and I've seen this personally through many sessions in my other books, I've written about it. Um, they go through healing on the other side. And there's sort of an acclimation phase or an adjustment phase uh, that they have to go through because uh, they're quite shocked sometimes to, to be floating above their body and not realizing why am I up here, but I'm seeing my body down there. Yeah. And so they kind of have to go through, um, you know, a recognition and a um, sort of a, a revelation or an acceptance of what has happened. Yeah, and I, and I get the impression quite often um, there you have a, you have a section specifically about suicide, which I think is related in a way to to drug overdosing, where uh, you say that a lot of uh, people who have suicided, there's a lot of regret uh, afterwards and kind of dis- sadness that um, they perhaps weren't able to, you know, do um, deal with what they had to deal with here, and then they they're still left with a lot of the same struggles. That's very true. That's true. I've seen it. I have never communicated in thousands of readings with anyone who's committed suicide that was happy that they did it. The ones that I have heard from, and there have been many, always say, I made a very foolish choice. Because once they get over there, they see that they really didn't solve the problems that they were struggling with by ending a physical life. They still have to deal with that. They still have to reckon with it. They still have to cope with it. Plus they've created new karma by, um, you know, taking themselves off off of the natural pathway. And they've also created a lot of pain for their families and people that they've left behind. Yeah. Yeah. So, so would you say um, uh, there is an ideal pathway for each of us uh, that we've kind of come here, been born into this life with it? Ideally, we'll navigate life like this and then we're free to go and we might navigate it up and down and around. And Well, I, I um, you know, that brings up the whole thing too of um, reincarnation because what we don't finish here by choice it's kind of like, you know, when we, when you were little and mom said, you need to clean up your room. And, you know, some people rebelled and said, no, I'm not going to clean it up. And she goes, well, you're going to clean it up either now or later. So <laughs> that, that's kind of what our life is like, you know, with um, there is always growth because we are eternal beings um, and we don't die. You know, we, and I can tell you, I, I don't believe in the afterlife, I know it. I know it. I don't believe to me is something that is, you know, well, I think that's true. I'm not sure, but you know, yeah. um, I, I absolutely know that it's true. Um, so yeah, we have, we have the element of free will that's always operating and, um, we can make choice to stay on the pathway. Um, we can make choice to come off the pathway 
it's we who will either enjoy those consequences or suffer from those consequences. There, there is no ultimate, you know, uh, old man with a white beard with a staff who's going to judge us. You know, when we, pardon me, when we cross over, uh, we see our life review and we're, we make an assessment of the choices that we made. And there's a section in my book that I titled The Soul's Report Card. And what I'm referring to there is we grade ourselves on how well we did with what we planned uh, before we uh, took physical form. Yeah. Which raises the question, which part of us does the grading, right? Because the part of us that just lived the life here, um, uh, you know, it's sort of involved, it, it invites the, the need for an objective observer within us that kind of is able to look at that and go, okay, well, these are all the things that I, I, um, I failed or I didn't fail. I did this really well, uh, which is not you necessarily what we always have. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, I'm sorry. Uh, the only failure is to not evolve through a particular lesson. So we really can't fail um, because, as you probably know, if we don't learn through one lesson, it's going to be repeated. And a lot of times the repetition is a lot harsher than the first time mm. um, so you know one where it's again the analogy of are you going to clean your room up now or are you going to do it later um, yeah. but you know you're going to clean it you know it doesn't matter so um, but yeah I mean we, we really I, I think and I wrote a section in this book called uh, self-forgiveness I spend a lot of time in this book on the cornerstone of healing, which is forgiveness. And there have been um, many readings I've done in which the spirit communicator will come through and facilitate forgiveness. Uh, someone that was abusive here, someone that wasn't present for his or her children, um, someone that uh, hurt somebody in some way, uh, they'll come through and actually say, you know, I really regret that, and I'm, I'm deeply sorry for causing pain. Mm. Um, so, you know, once we, once we get into the spirit world, we're actually able to see without the, the filter of the ego um, what, what we've really created in life. And we earn our space in the spirit world based on the consciousness that we had and that we created when we were here on the physical plane. So that, that kind of brings up for me a question because I, I was really intrigued by um, your comment about the personality and how we have, you know, personality here in this lifetime um, that might see us being, for example, be, be quite rigid, maybe be... Um, you know, have judgments around certain things because of our upbringing. Um, and the suggestion, as I, I understand from your book, is then that when we die, we kind of, the personality kind of dies with the body. Like it was kind of part of the, almost like a, like a role that we played when we were in the physical dimension. And 
on the one hand, I that that corresponds with you know the, what I understand, and on the other hand, also uh, am aware that sometimes um, people still seem to be stuck on the other side in those same traits. Um, so it's not always it doesn't always seem to be the case. That's one question I have, and the other question is if we do just drop the personality when we leave the physical body, what's the point? What's the motivation? Why are we, why might we struggle in this life to, you know, grow our personality? Why might we want to become more compassionate or, 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 you know, heal if it's kind of just an illusion, an illusory um, persona that we have? Well, what we really retain when we go into spirit, as far as, the personality and by the way we starting at the beginning we choose the personality also before we come here and so um it's sort of like looking at possibilities when we're still in that soul realm we look at potential and possibilities and then we make choice based on that the ideal thing to do while we're here is to pull the personality into alignment so that it becomes a servant to the soul. We're not going to abolish the personality when we're here at all. And that there, that should never happen. And I know that some people differ with that, you know, that are in religious orders and so forth. Um, but the personality unto itself is not bad or evil. The personality is very necessary and it's your unique signature on your service to the world. For example, I mean, there, there are mediums who have a totally different personality than I do, uh, completely different, but the, you know, they're still mediums. They're, they're serving and they're, they might, they're probably very skilled. Um, you know, I am who I am. You are who you are. So, um, we're meant to do that. The problem comes in when the personality tries to lead and it really doesn't have the capability in its limitation because the soul, as you know, is unlimited. It is eternal. It is infinite because it is a spark of the creator itself. And so um, the soul is unlimited. Now, there's a section, the, the third section in Wisdom from the Spirit World is about merging the personality with the soul so that when you have that combination, you become much more effective in offering your unique uh, service, orientation, whatever that might be, uh, to the world. So I, I think that, you know, there's some new age, I, I call it new age philosophy, that has really demonized the ego and the personality. And I, I don't adhere to that. Um, it is not negative, it is necessary, but it is certainly not the whole picture. And the whole picture includes the soul. It's also the body, it's also the rational mind. So we're this combination of things. Now, um, the, these bodies, you know, if you, you call them, and we have an energy body as well. In fact, when we dream at night, we're actually traveling in our astral body. And uh, yeah. the only difference between when we're sleeping and when we die 
is that uh, the cord that attaches the energy body to the physical body, it dissolves. So, you know, we're no longer tethered to the physical um, body or the physical realm. So the personality, um, what we really see from my understanding, and believe me, I don't have all the answers. I, I speak about what I have directly experienced in my own work and what I've written about and what my own spirit guides have uh, given me through inspiration. But we see the result of that personality and the choices that that personality made. And was the personality operating independently of the soul's awareness or was it making choices um, with the person, I'm sorry, with the soul guiding it? And that's kind of connected. Being connected to, I mean, this is how I read that that chapter in your in your book. It's kind of about really connecting more deeply, deepening our connection with ourselves. And when I say ourselves, in that case, I guess I mean what you're talking about is the soul, that 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 essence of us of us to bring that into the physical personality that we have right now. That yes, and there's a, you and I both know, and I'm sure the listeners have seen people who um, their personality dominates them. And so if someone's egoistic or someone's um, arrogant or someone lacks compassion, you know, especially sensitive people can really feel that. And not even, you don't even have to be sensitive, but you can, you can see that. You know, so I'm always, um, you know, aware of merging these things that I call soul quality. For example, compassion, um, nurturing, caring, service, uh, caretaking, all of those sorts of things, um, and merging those with the personality. And it becomes much more effective when you do it that way. And I think a lot of people forget or they think, they mistakenly think that they you know, well, I can't, you know, I can't get angry anymore. I can't be myself. Or, you know, if I go on a spiritual pathway, I've, you know, I've got to be this very pure person. And, you know, I can't really yeah. be who, who I feel that I am. And that's not so. And I think that it's time that those of us who are writing books on metaphysics or spirituality uh, should really be honest about that and take a more realistic stance um in helping people to understand um you know this thing called self-acceptance as well yeah yeah i really love that it's actually i'm actually working on a book at the moment that really focuses on that precise topic of kind of bypassing ourselves um as, as an issue and i really love that that discussion in your book um about yes. that yes mm. yeah well i'm I'm glad that you're doing that because it's very much needed. I, some of the teachings that I, even I adhered to a long time ago, I no longer do because I found that they were erroneous and they were very misleading. And so I never advocate um, with clients that I, the common that might be grieving, you know, or they're, you know, sometimes people come with anger. Sometimes people come with confusion. Um, I would far rather have honesty in the way that people are 
you know, just being who they are and saying, you know, I'm really angry that my son, you know, overdosed and I'm just, I'm angry at him, you know, and being honest about those things and realizing that we need to feel all of the feelings and no one can do that for us. Only, only we can um, process those. Uh, The point is, is to become the observer and to um, disidentify with them and just saying, I have these feelings but they don't, they don't limit or define me, but yet not denying them either. It's no. really vital to allow that full experience for people uh, to heal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking about uh, the, the, the conditioning that we have perhaps gotten in this life through different spiritual traditions but I think also that a lot of us carry from past lives around what it, what it means to be saintly or what it means to be, you know, following religious um, kind of ideas, uh, which so, so often seem to involve denying the self, denying our own feelings um, for some abstract uh, notion of, of sainthood or, um, you know, purity or something like that. Yes. And, you know, people will always fall, you know, the higher up you set yourself in that way. And that's one of the reasons why I never use the word gifted too, because Mm. um, the fall is great um, when you start letting ego dominate things or, you know, you submerge the shadow aspect. I I know a lot of people that's, that's become kind of popular that word in the, the new age. Uh, communities um, and some writings about the shadow side, in other words, those um, those parts of self that we kind of don't want to admit that we have, you know, that we don't really want to take a look at. And um, I always say you have to do that. You have to look at those, and you have to engage in self forgiveness, and that's a big part of the third section of this book. In that, um, you know, we spoke about this in the very beginning. I, both of us, you mentioned that you had a difficult early life, and I certainly did. So I had to go through a lot of um, uh, self-forgiveness with all of that and saying, because it kept coming up and coming up that I wish I wouldn't have wasted all that time. I wish I wouldn't have wasted, you know, all those years, um, and I could have been so much further ahead. And so I really had to go deep within and do that inner work, you know, that said, yeah, you, you know, you messed up pretty badly, but um, the thing is, you're not, you're not doing that now. You're, you're not still doing those same things and hopefully you've learned from them. And um, so I, I did a lot. That took me a long time, quite honestly. I'm very real. Um, If there's one thing about me, I, I, I tell people, you know, just because I'm a medium does not mean I have not struggled. I I don't have challenges. I don't doubt. I don't have fear. I have all those things. And anyone who's doing this work who's honest um, will tell you that. You know, all of us are here. We're we're all learning and growing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really essential, actually. That for, for me, anyway, in my practice, that honesty, because it's also honesty with myself to to acknowledge 
you know, otherwise, otherwise we become blind to ourselves, we become blind to our own struggles and so on if we try and deny them all the time. Um, I'm probably going to jump around a little bit. I'm just looking at my notes here now of things that I wanted to touch on with you. And um, uh, I just found this was an interesting point. So I'm kind of going back to now your, your connections with um, different spirits. But um, there was a case that you described where someone was murdered. And I think the people that came and saw you, probably his parents or his relatives, they were really keen to find out about you know, what happened and how he got murdered. But the the person on the other side was quite relaxed about it. He wasn't really he wasn't really interested anymore in seeking vengeance or, or, or kind of, you know, having anything around that. So I thought that was an interesting shift in perspective. I know that's not always the case. I know sometimes people are dead and they really are wanting to take revenge. Uh, but in this case, there was a real shift of, of consciousness of what became important, right? It is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, the it, that is the difference. That story there is the difference between the perspective of the rational mind and the soul awareness. And so, because the soul understands that. It is leaving leaving the physical body is much like taking a coat off when we come in in the winter time. Um, oh, okay, I'm going to take my coat off now and hang it up. Um, that's really what how the soul in its awareness, it, the sort of I put it in quotes attitude uh, that it has uh, about the the physical. Um, because it, it knows that it's inex inextinguishable as the eternal energy of the divine. And so um, that is a very good illustration um, of the difference in the, in the two consciousnesses. Um, you know, our earthly consciousness is very, very different um, than the soul consciousness. That's why I always remind people when people go, well, why would I choose, you know, to experience abuse or why would I choose to experience, um, you know, poverty or what, whatever it might be. And I always say you wouldn't on a conscious level, but on a soul level, the soul does not really know suffering. It knows expression and it knows expansion. That, that's it. And really, it doesn't even expand. It simply expresses. And so what we're doing here is removing um, more layers from the light of the soul. Now, in the soul's consciousness, that example of the murder could very well have advanced. And this is, this is how we don't know with these limited rational minds. We don't know what really is going on on that higher level. And sometimes we don't know that until we cross over into back into spirit, what's really at play. So it could be for a awakening uh, for the murderer, you know, and that soul volunteered to uh, um, play that part. You know, it, it could be for somehow the spiritual evolution of the family. 
And this is very different than, than what we conceive of in our, our uh, rational mind. Um, yeah. The soul, the soul is, is very, very different, has a very different perspective. So um, thank you for bringing that example up because it is quite startling when you first read it. Um, but um, that is how it happened. Mm. And, um, you know, and I've, I've seen this before as well, uh, beyond that one example. Um, and sometimes, you know, people want to know who killed somebody or, you know, in the case of a murder, uh, who did that? And there are many, many times that spirit will not give information because it's a karmic issue, meaning that it has to evolve in the way that it's going to unfold. And I am, as a medium, not even given that information to pass along. Yeah. Because it was something that the soul or the, the sitter of the reading has to discover in, in its own timing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have a sense sometimes that there are um, kind of people managing the communication process? So, you know, you might have a, a, a relative coming through to communicate, but that there are others... Um, I think you use the word spirit guides in, in your book yeah, that, that might be kind of indicating, no, maybe don't say anything more or, you know, yes, you can give a little bit more about this, who, that there are others who might have a bigger perspective because not all spirits have the same scope of perspective, right? Oh, that's, you're absolutely right. Yes, because we don't automatically pass Remember, um, we pass the, the consciousness that we have at the moment of death is the consciousness that it's going to the spirit world. It, it can't be any other way. We're not instantly transformed. Mm. I always kind of chuckle when I, and I don't mean to offend anybody with this at all, but I always kind of chuckle when I, you know, I read the obituaries in my newspaper and I see, well, the person went to eternal rest, you know, and all this. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, you know, I happen to see differently, you know, that there is such a thing as reincarnation. Um, but, um, yeah, we go with whatever we have here. And that's why there are many different levels to the spirit world. You know, there's the levels that are close to the earth. They're, they're more uh, the darker realms. They are denser in vibration, and the higher up that you go, and I mean higher vibrationally, uh, the higher the consciousness, meaning the purer the consciousness is, the more um, unlike duality it is. I'll put I'll put it to you that way. So um, most people go to the mid planes of the spirit world, and sometimes in the old uh, spiritualist. Um, writings they, they were called the summer lands and um, because it's always summer there it's it's absolutely beautiful it's the sun is always shining it's warm um there's there's um, really you can't even put into language how beautiful the flowers and the landscape is um and we can have anything that we want there are people who live in homes there that are identical to what they had here on earth. So, you know, we can have many of the same, uh, same things, even the same hobbies. I've seen spirits engaged in hobbies 
that they had, you know, on the other side. And the other important thing that I'd like to um, tell people is, you know, when we go to spirit, we take all our lessons with us, every experience that we had here. But we also continue our work. If we're engaged with a particular type of work, um, we I've often in readings, uh, I've seen spirits who are doing that same thing on the other side. For example, teaching. Yeah. You know, um, that's brought up in, in this book as well. In one of the uh, readings that, that I talk about, um, or someone who did healing work here, someone perhaps, um, you know, that, that was um, in some way working with science. Um, there are scientists in, in spirit. Um, anything that you can name, any profession that you can name also exists in spirit. Mm. If you've heard the metaphysical expression as above, so below, um, that is, and that applies to the planets as well, because the movement of the planets are symbolic of the, um, and that's the macrocosm, the microcosm is within the human being. And each of the planetary energies is, is within the human being too. So astrology, um, is very fascinating and I, I don't want to diverge into that topic because uh, I could speak a long time about that. But It's also one of your passions, uh, yeah? Oh, I've studied it for many, many, many years. I do these things called karmic astrology readings and I use the birth chart um, to help people, um, you know, with, with certain challenges. They want to know uh, where did that come from, you know? And, and if I look at the birth chart, a lot of times I can see, you know, if there's a square in the chart and that means it's karmic, different, different things. There's a lot of things that you can tell about an individual um, from the birth chart. Right. So, um, but as far as the spirit world is, is concerned, um, we don't automatically become enlightened once we cross over. We stay relatively the same but we can continue to evolve in, in spirit. Um, but there are certain limitations in spirit because, um, you know, we don't have a body and we learn a lot of lessons through our physical body. Yeah. You know, and the limitations, right. Illness. The limitations having the, there seems to be something yes. really valuable about this, com the compressed nature of the physical experience in terms of. Yeah. And, you suffering. know, speaking, speaking of astrology, Kim, you know, <laughs> Uh, that is symbolized by the planet Saturn. Saturn is about limitation, and it's called the Lord of Karma. That's what astrologers refer to Saturn, the planet, as. Uh, it's highly karmic. Uh, but yes, limitation and duality are two things that exist here that do not exist in the spirit world. Yeah. Um. Let me see what other uh, points I had. Well, this is kind of tracking back, but I think it was a really interesting question. Um, you, you share in your book how you, um, you know, as a child you had a real fear around death and you share those um, stories of, of being with your deceased grandparents and feeling really uncomfortable about dead bodies and, and so on. And it made me wonder now as someone who's really spent time with death for many, for many years in a, in a different way, 
Um, what would you have imagined, you know, what, what do you think, how would you have liked to have been supported as a child? Or how would you think people can support, you know, children around, around death? I had nobody in my family who had this ability. Um, so it was sort of difficult. I mean, the word psychic and the word medium were never mentioned in my home growing up. My parents were excellent parents, but they would never have gone to a medium or a psychic. However, I've studied my own birth chart and I see that the ability to be highly sensitive has come down from my maternal line. And in a little bit different way um, than, and there might've been people, you know, some ancestors who were also highly um, intuitive, mm -hmm. but I'm not aware of them. Um, so I, you know, that would have been nice, but it was what it was as far as, you know, my childhood. Um, and, um, I, you know, sometimes I get, I wish I had another medium to talk to. Um, I, you know, this has probably been, um, since I'm promoting this book, I've had a lot of connection with other people who are working in this general field. So, um, that's been quite refreshing that I don't have to explain everything from you know from scratch or from ground zero um about the work um, so you know it is nice to connect with um other people but yes i i had a lot of fear as a child particularly about death mm. and i describe about going to my grandmother's funeral and i, I had nightmares of seeing her in the casket and um it really, um, it really affected me for a long time. And now I have completely lost that fear. I, I don't, I have no fear at all of death. Um, I certainly would not want to be really ill and, and go out of the world like that. Who knows, you know, what's going to happen. But um, as far as going back into spirit, no, I, I think it's, um, and if there's one thing that I think mediumship really helps people with, it, it is not only comfort, but that alleviating fear of death, knowing that we do continue on after leaving here, that there is something there. And actually, that was the, that's the first lesson out of the 10 lessons. There is an afterlife. And I put that first uh, because all the other lessons kind of come after that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the foundational piece, right, to really get our head around that. Yeah. Um, so another question I had around your um, you doing your readings is how you go um, giving people hard answers. So, uh, so hard information. So I, I, I get the impression, not always, but I get the impression that quite often when you start telling people things, it's in a way confirming something that if they'd attuned, if they were trusting their own inner guidance more, or maybe that actually their own connection to the spirits who are trying to, you know, encourage them, they would have already known, but then hearing it from you, it kind of is like, yeah, yeah, okay, it's, you know, it kind of reaffirms it. But then there are some cases where, um, and I think, I'm, I guess I'm thinking right now around um, the story of the man who's um, 
who, who couldn't handle the, her, the fact that his daughter was gay. And then when she died, he came to you and he was really still really bitter and quite closed. Um, but, uh, but yeah, how, how do you go um, providing information that really clearly the person isn't really open to or doesn't really want to hear? Well, that's always tough. Um, and the story, that's a very powerful story that you referred to. I think that sometimes the um, not even so much skepticism that blocks um, one's reception of this kind of communication, um, but sometimes it can be expectations that block a reception of things. Um, the hardest part of my work is dealing with people's expectations of who's going to come through, what's going to be said, uh, the, the manner in which it's going to be said, um, you know, who shows up, who doesn't show up. That's the most difficult part of my work. And, um, you know, I've heard other mediums say that as well. Because I, I feel badly. I mean, I'm human, you know. I, it's like, well, you know, I mean, 95% of the time, the person that the uh, the sitter wants to hear from does come through. It, it's a high percentage. But there are cases where they don't come through. And that's always difficult for me as well because I feel badly, you know, and it's, it's not my doing because um, <clears throat> I remain relatively the same. Uh, but there's some reason why that soul isn't appearing. Um, so that, that's always difficult. Um, but yeah, skepticism, um, is sort of, a, it's like hitting a brick wall, um, when I'm giving messages. Um, but yeah, I don't want people to be accepting of anything. And that's why I work very hard, um, telling the spirit people that they must bring solid evidence so that it creates a deeper heart connection with that sitter yeah so that so the sitter can be really assured of that they're working with someone that they know yeah and the the, the main point of that is for healing because if i if i give you a very general description of some someone and I say, well, there's a man here. He says he loves you very much or, you know, whatever it might be. <clears throat> that is not going to create the deep heart connection that is necessary for the reassurance that, say, for example, that's your father, um, that, hey, dad is right here with me. I, I know it. You know, there's yeah. no way that she would know that. Um, know. So, and it's not that they don't don't say things that are sort of generic at times because sometimes the message is I'm, I'm still around you. And in fact, I named my second book, I'm still with you because I heard myself saying that over and over again. I'm yeah. still with you. He wants you to know I'm still with you. So I named the book that, and that's my second book, which, um, you know, is gone places I never dreamed it would. And when I was writing it, I didn't even know if I would get a publisher for it. Right. So, um, you know, the, the, all of my books are unembellished and they're very um, genuine. And I write them very simply so that people can grasp, um, you know, they can grasp the concepts. I, I don't want people to be 
flustered when they're reading and I try to be as clear and concise as possible. Yeah, it's very accessible. Yeah. So what I did want to uh, ask uh, sort of as a, I guess as a big picture kind of question to, to end with Carol is how do you see the relationship between human life and the spirit world? How would you, what were the key, what are sort of some of the key aspects that you see around how we as humans in the spirit world coexist and intermingle and relate? Well, there's always a collaborative effort and many, many people do not realize how close that we, they are, that we are to uh, working with those in spirit and not just, you know, relatives and friends, but these, I mentioned, I, I uh, mentioned the, the terms spirit guides before spirit guides are those souls who have agreed to help us on our pathway here. We don't realize how, how much they, um, they work with us, how much they inspire us. Um, and, you know, also things like scientific inventions, technology, uh, medical, the medical field, all of that is a collaboration with the spirit world because that's where some of these innovations come from. Mm. And it's from um, that divine inspiration. And when, when humankind is ready on a consciousness level to accept, to receive those inspirations, that's when they will come. But the spirit world works tirelessly to inspire us and to help us. And I I know that, and I've seen it firsthand. So there's always a collaboration going on. And, you know, I've often been asked, where is the spirit world? Where is it? And I'll say, it's right here. It's it's all around you. It's a matter of opening your putting your antenna up to be able to receive it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm reminded of the obituary you mentioned, right, about eternal rest or things like that, when you really get the impression that there's actually a whole lot of activity um, on the other side, right? It's a really busy place. Oh, my gosh. It's a world that is as vibrant and real as the one that you and I are in right now. It is full of color. It's It's... And, and, you know, here's the really startling thing. There are souls who have come through over the th- in the thousands of readings that I've done who, who say, please don't be sad. I'm right here. I'm not dead. I'm still alive. You know, and people go, but he's not here. She's not here. And so, you know, I, I hope that people can understand that the world of spirit is just as alive and just as real and vibrant as this physical one. The only difference is that it's not solid like here. The, you know, things are vibrating at a much higher velocity. Um, and it's a, it's a realm of thought. And if you think something in the spirit world, you're instantly doing it. That's how, I mean, how, how quickly can you think a thought? It's, it's like lightning. It's instantaneous. I so often wish I could do it here. I have so many thoughts. I was like, <laughs> I would like them to happen straight away. <laughs> well, I can tell you that, um, you know, th- this is the key. You know, there's been all these books written on how to manifest things, how to manifest, how to man. 
what you really have to do is go into your spirit mind, your soul connection, you know, and um, you, you manifest through that because the personality and the ego is not, you know, it, it's very useful. They're very useful, but um, it's from that higher source awareness that, that we manifest. And so the less interference that you have with doubts and fears, because those are all lower um, vibratory energies. I mean, they're, they're all human, you know, I'm not dismissing them, but in order to um, bring into your life what you want, you really have to conceptualize it very clearly and to focus on that with unwavering faith. And you'll see it show up. So whatever yeah. it might be, um, you know, that, that can work for the, that can work in the opposite direction too. You know, sometimes we can manifest fears. Um, but hopefully if you want to do something positive, um, even making, you know, the vision boards and so forth, I've personally done that and it does, it does work. Uh, the only difference connect, between this plane. Because it helps you connect with what you call the soul part, right? That kind of going into your. Yeah, well, you're, you're kind of, you know, with a vision board, you're kind of putting that into the subconscious. The subconscious is a sort of um, a subset, if you will, of the higher mind. They, they, inter, they inter, you know, interconnect. Um, so that's why not, nothing is ever lost. That's why you, you can undergo hypnosis and you can recall something from when you were an infant, perhaps. Because yeah. the subconscious is always recording that. <clears throat> um, so, you know, becoming aware of that, um, you know, we can pull from that. And that's where our dreams come from as well. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you, Carol. I, I have, um, there's a couple of comments here. Uh, I don't know if you know this person because she seems to know you, um, Dory Lee Scott. She's got a Carol Loveheart in her comment. Um, oh, yes. I'm not yes. sure if you want. Yeah. Hey, you know Dory? Um, I know of her. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure I know her personally, um, uh, but I think she's a member of my page. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so she's asking a question and I'm not sure, let's see if you want to answer this because it is one of the, it is basically a specific um, guidance question. Um, she's asking about her husband's spirit guide, whether he sees a change in career because uh, her husband is so unhappy and she worries about his health. Oh boy. Um, I'm not tuned in with that. Um, yeah. But off, you know, what my gut is telling me <clears throat> that it's going to take a little bit more time with that. Um, but there will be an opening, and I want to put it into um, uh, during winter time or spring. Okay. And so, if you don't mind me asking, this is more of a practice. How, what does, how do you tune in in that moment? What is your process of tuning in? You know what? It's so automatic for me that I don't even have um, a process. Um, I just, you know, the, 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 the switch just comes on and, and it happens. Um, but I have to tell you, I am not one for doing readings on the Internet. I yeah. like a very personal connection. 
because I'll tell you why, because I am extremely clairaudient. And when I hear that person's voice, that's when the information comes through. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that what I gave her was incorrect. I don't want her to think that. Um, but I'm, I'm much more, I tune in very, very rapidly and deeply when I hear the voice asking the question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's just how I personally operate. So Dory says, thank you with multiple exclamation marks. Uh, and then there was just a comment earlier from a lady called Sue Chu. I don't know if you know her. She seems to, she's tagged you anyway. Um, I do. Yeah, she's just saying very interesting. This was referring to our earlier discussion, I think. Um, okay. All right. So, yeah, I think that'll, it's been a really lovely discussion. Carol, thank you so much for um, your time. Oh, thank I really, you for having me, Kim. Yeah. You're very, you're very insightful. Yeah, thank you. And I, I, I love the subject matter. I really appreciated your book, um, the clarity, the, the simplicity, yet with a lot of really deep information. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure it will go really well for you. Oh, may I give my website as well? Oh, yes, very good point. Yes, let people know where they can find yeah. you. And it, um, all my books are on Amazon and Kindle and so forth. My website is Soul Visions, that's plural, soul plus visions.net. And my Facebook is facebook.com slash soul medium. Soul medium on Facebook and soulvisions.net on the internet. Yeah. That's it. Lovely. I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it on social media to help others find it? The tune Seeing Us Out is another one from Axel Teslev. This one is called Akasha. You can find more information about today's guest on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com, including any links to their work and their contact details. On my website, You'll also find my blog and information and reviews about my book, Multidimensional Evolution, which you can purchase in any good bookstore if you want to show your love for this show and get practical info for your own exploration of consciousness. Finally, please get in touch, whether it is to ask questions, share experiences, or suggest guests and topics. I always love hearing from people, as I believe it is through sharing with each other that we can all grow together. Until then, or until you tune in again, I am sending you my very best energies. <laughs>